Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, welcome to Hertel. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us on this April the 27th. It is a Wednesday, halfway through the week in the year of our Lord 2022 continues to roll along. We're almost out of April. It's kind of hard to believe. May is right around the corner. A lot of stuff going on. Going to try to turn down the noise of the news cycle on a couple different things today. Uh, there's a story out about clemencies. Uh, President Biden has issued his first clemencies and pardons. We're going to cover that a little bit. Uh, Kind of a different take on COVID. Back during the pandemic, folks would complain about the loss of taste and smell, and there was a correlation in the drop in reviews for the Yankee Candle Company. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Kind of an easier way to get into a tougher topic in general. Uh, We'll end the show talking a little baseball. Uh, The Savannah Bananas. Yes, the Savannah Bananas. It's a baseball team. Think Harlem Globetrotters, but for baseball, our friend Jericho Hill sent that one in. Uh, so we'll touch on that. Great guest today, uh, Augustine Forzani. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Argentina. We're going to go way down south, uh, as far south as you can go, as a matter of fact, in the Western Hemisphere. The nation of Argentina. A lot going on down there, but one of the things he has been writing about is the fact that we've been talking about this world food shortage that's coming out of the uh, Russian war of aggression in Ukraine, how that's going to interrupt things. Argentina is one of those countries that has vast, vast agricultural resources, but they're not in a position to capitalize on it and help the world out. Why is that? He talks about their government's restrictions. He talks about farming subsidies. He talks about the government in Argentina, the people of Argentina. Some great insights there and lessons to learn for the rest of the world as well. Augustine Forzani, our Young Voices contributor, talking about his native Argentina today on the program. Always enjoy getting global perspectives on things like that. Let's start with some domestic politics today, though. Uh, We're going to use the one version of this out of the hill, but this was all over social media. You know, our uh, raison d'etat, there's some fancy, fancy French way of saying your reason for being. I can't say it because I don't hobla French. But uh, the reason we talk about doing this show is we turn down the noise. We talk about not listening to the caterwauling. What you really don't want to do is go chasing unicorns because they don't exist. They're pretty. They sound good, but they don't exist. There's a lot of unicorn chasing in news media. This particular unicorn shows up almost every single election cycle. And here we go again. And it is the unicorn of a third party candidate. Uh, In this particular case, The Hill is talking about this as well. But it's a Harvard Caps Harris poll. 58 percent of voters reading from The Hill here said they were open to supporting a moderate independent presidential candidate in a contest between President Biden and former President Trump, according to a new Harvard Caps Harris Poll survey released exclusively to the Hill on Monday. Additionally, the survey found that the majorities of voters 
said they do not want Biden or Trump to run in 2024. Hold that thought. We'll come back to that in just a second. 63% of respondents said they did not want Biden to run for a second term, while only 37% said they did want him to run again in 2024. Meanwhile, 55% of respondents said they did not want Trump to run again in 2024. 45% said they thought the former president should run again. I would be doubtful and skeptical of this poll, not because they didn't conduct it well or are, you know, being malicious or anything. It's just not the best way to do this. Here's your other problem with this. If you ask somebody in a vacuum a question, you're going to get a vacuous answer. Of course, they would love to have a third party option. Everybody would like to have a third party option. Most Americans polled over and over and over again that they don't like the two party system right now because you wind up with things like, with all due respect, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. The problem is you don't vote in a vacuum. You vote in a voting booth with real life people, with real life candidates. And what happened in 2020 when those real life people went to vote? Joe Biden got the highest vote total in the history of America. And Donald Trump got the second highest vote total in the history of America. People flooded to the polls to vote for one of these two men, not for some third party, not for anybody else, for the two people that were actually on the ballot. So the behavior doesn't match the polling. Why is that? Again, when you just ask the question in a vacuum, of course they'd like a better option. But when it comes right down to it, they deal with the options at hand. Now, we're already on the record here that if there's breath in his body and his health holds up and something catastrophic doesn't happen, Joe Biden's going to run for re-election. And if you're a Democrat, you probably want him to because he's going to be your best option. We will see what uh, former President Trump does. He's sure acting like he's going to run. He's telling people he's going to run. He's fundraising like he's going to run. Chances are he's probably going to run. We'll see what happens. If we're wrong about Biden, we'll say so. We don't get in hung up on being right or wrong here. If we're wrong, we say so. But let's assume for a second that happens again. I would expect the voter turnout to be high again. It's going to be highly contentious. There's a lot of open wounds from 2020. There's a lot of wounds from 2016, for that matter, especially if former President Trump gets back in. So take these kinds of pollings with a grain of salt. Now, could we ever have a viable third-party independent candidate? Part of the problem is baked into how this question was phrased. Remember how they phrased this question? Let's back up for a second. Moderate, independent, presidential candidate. Well, that sounds fantastic, except for one problem. We talked about this when we talked about uh, President Biden running for re-election. He's the only one who could build a coalition and have a constituency to get elected. Constituency is an important term. That's the people who's actually going to support you, who's actually going to turn out and vote. If you're going to talk about a moderate, independent presidential candidate, that's all well and good. Who's their constituency? The problem with being in the middle is you're just that. In the middle, you're going to have to draw from all sides to try to get support. And the entirety of our media, and the entirety of our politics, the entirety of our social media, and frankly, the entirety of our attention spans is not on the media. It's not on the moderate. It's on the loud, it's on the fringes, it's on the edges. That's where all the money's made. That's where all the stories are. That's where everything's at. That's why candidates like former President Trump get traction so fast on things like things like Twitter. They're grenades. They're new. They're loud. They push the boundaries. It gets engagement. That's what made him president. That's what got him all the free media press, billions of dollars worth of free press. Now, you can turn around and argue the counter and say, well, President Biden was a vote against that. He was a return to normal, which that isn't really true either. He's more boring. He's more quiet, whatever. Well, that may be fair. But again, things don't happen in a vacuum. He was running against Donald Trump. Neither of these men have been elected president without 
running against somebody who was less popular with them that helped get them in the White House, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump's case, and Joe Biden ran against Donald Trump. Now, if we get a rematch in 2024, that dynamic may be a little bit different. There's going to be a lot of things happening between now and then. We have a midterm election in which former President Donald Trump figures to play a large role and to be a very loud force. How is that going to affect things? And of course, as we've seen in Ukraine, things can happen overseas that happen in a hurry. And it's still the economy, stupid. We don't know what's going to happen there with inflation, the economy, things like the labor shortage, all sorts of stuff. It's not going to happen between now and 2024. One thing I can tell you, there won't be a unicorn on the ballot. There may be a third party candidate. There's usually three or four minor candidates on the ballot. Are they going to affect anything? I doubt it, especially if it's a rematch, because most people are already going to have an opinion and they're going to want that opinion heard. And the way they're going to have that heard voting for one of these two men, it's not the greatest system. Everybody wants something different, but this is how it's going to be for the foreseeable future. More hotel right after this. Hi, welcome back to Hurtel. And now, as the old Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons used to do, something completely different. Uh, COVID-19, we've covered it way too much, frankly. Everybody's kind of tired of it. But um, causation and correlation being what it is, here's a new one. Uh, this is from uh, northcentralpa.com. I, uh, what are you going to do, folks? A curious correlation caught the attention of Twitter and academic researchers this month. As COVID-19 cases increased in the U.S., the number of bad reviews claiming no scent on the ever-popular Yankee candles increased. Now, everybody remembers back during COVID, one of the symptoms was you lose your taste and smell senses. Uh, So anyway, this piece here, since the recent surge in COVID-19 cases surrounding the 2021 holiday season, the review section of Yankee candle products on Amazon was flooded with complaints from customers claiming they were unable to smell the candles. Yankee Candle Company is a popular brand of candles based out of Massachusetts. The company is known for producing long-lasting quality candles. Part of Yankee Candle's popularity is the wide variety of scents offered in their candles. So it's no surprising customers would be upset if they were unable to smell them. What is surprising is the link between the candle scents and the complaints in COVID. People took to Twitter to discuss the strange coincidence of bad Yankee Candle reviews and the increase in COVID-19 cases, pointing out the common symptom of the virus is a loss of smell. Uh, there's some uh, professors here. They actually busted out some graphs because, of course, they did. It's Twitter, audiovisual format. Uh, so we actually have some data on this. Uh, it concludes this way. While it's unfortunate so many candle customers were unable to enjoy their favorite cozy candles this year, it's also a reminder that COVID-19 can have lasting consequences for those infected. Over 1 million people in the United States have lost their sense of smell, maybe permanently, according to the latest data. So the next time you decide to light your favorite candle and get cozy, pay attention to your nose. If you can't smell the candle, it may not be Yankee Candle's fault. Um, This, you know, obviously will have to be researched, but it's an interesting data point. We have covered on this show one of the most popular episodes we have done of Herd Tell ever was the long COVID case. We've actually already reached out. We're going to revisit that with the same folks again long COVID is going to be one of those things down the road as we go on people that have lingering symptoms people that have things that came out of their COVID experiences what happens is when you have a disease like this 
You may have underlying conditions. You may have previous existing conditions you didn't know about. You may have an autoimmune disease that you didn't know about that it triggers or other things. Long COVID is going to be a thing. So while it's a little bit silly and we're kind of being having some fun with folks that can't smell, that may be an underlying medical issue. If that's the case with you, you need to talk to your medical provider about that. Always take symptoms seriously until somebody with a lot of authority and good due diligence tells you not to. But if your Yankee candles don't smell right, don't just go on the internet and start yelling at folks. Make sure it ain't you first. I don't know what flavor you like of Yankee candle. I kind of need mild stuff like that because I'm one of those allergy people. But do enjoy your candles responsibly and make sure you blow them out before you go to bed. More hotel right after this. Welcome back to Hertel. We continue to talk about global issues with a wide variety of perspective. Another one of our great Young Voices contributors that we absolutely love to have on this program. Let's go to a fellow from Argentina. Uh, he is a graduate of George Mason with his master's degree, though, although he has degrees in both uh, agro-business and economics from down in Argentina. Augustin Fuzani, how are you, my friend? Thank you so much for the time today. Hi, uh, hi! N- nice to meet you, and thank you for having me in your program. Thrilled to have you. You wrote about this in National Interest. Um, we've been covering it on this program that the war in Ukraine, Russia's war of aggression, all the horribleness that's going on, there's a secondary uh, thing that is going to happen with this because Ukraine, we used to call it the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. It's one of the largest grain producers in the world. Russia produces a whole lot of grain also. A lot of folks focusing on the gas and the oil production and stuff we've been covering that the food production is going to be a huge issue you took a look at argentina and they have very fertile lands they have great agricultural capability but you see that this crisis could be a problem even in a place like argentina yeah yeah because um what i tried to do in the article is to show that um this uh problem with the war is you know uh disrupting all the international trade and and disrupting like prices are going up uh, massively around the world and within countries like governments try to um, solve the problems that this uh, disruption disruptions in prices cause so um Argentina is not a with I mean a, a agriculture importer, a commodities importer. It's an exporter, um, and what I try to show is that we could be like a backup. As uh, I mean, you could say that we could be a, a backup for this uh, problem in international trade, um, like the problem that you are having in Ukraine and Russia with the war is causing a. Uh, disruption in the ex- exportation of basically wheat from that area from the black sea to the um, like poor countries in like uh, low income countries in um, the middle east and africa because they are really close uh, um, i mean these uh, low income countries are, are close to the area and they normally import uh, lots of uh, um, commodities and mainly wheat from from that area the war is basically uh, just stop like 
the, the exportation of, of wheat from the Black Sea just uh, was cut um, like completely, almost completely. Um, and I am basically saying Argentina could be like could be supplying these uh, these countries, which are gonna suffer a lot because of these high prices. Um, these are basically, the, the, I mean, African and Middle East countries are imp importing countries. I mean, uh, they, they import uh, agricultural commodities. Um, and I, I, I try to say Argentina is also a breadbasket from South America, but we can supply these countries easily. But, you know, um, governments try to see just uh, their population, they don't really care about, um, you know, what what's happening outside their their borders uh i mean not that much uh so they start to like i mean in, at least in argentina the government is is meddling with uh with agricultural markets i mean it's they are intervening um i mean it's gonna add uh, fire to the to the to the problem already um it's gonna be um it's it's gonna. I my opinion is that the the this new intervention that they are adding to the to the, to the wheat market in Argentina is gonna reduce um, the the production of wheat and it's gonna increase prices obviously. For folks that don't know that much about Argentina, uh, other than maybe you know Juan Perón and that sort of thing, and they haven't paid attention lately, uh, you know since maybe the Falkland Wars or so. What's the current political environment in Argentina? Obviously, when you start talking about a government that is intervening in their agricultural production, that brings up all sorts of things because we've seen that throughout history. But just give people a little bit of an overview. The current government in Argentina, the current political situation in Argentina, there's a lot of concern uh, about economic dysfunction. There's a lot of concern. There's some political upheaval. Just give people kind of an overview that aren't real familiar with the country. So yeah, I mean, as you said, in Argentina, I think we are um, already in a 100-year period of dysfunctional government. Um, right now, the current government is Peronist, um, in the same um, ideology as, as the late uh, Peron. But um, yeah, I mean, they are, government normally tries to accommodate to the situation rather than them than uh like following the 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 real ideologies of of the past i mean they the like the peronism peronism right now is really like different from the historic peronism that started all the um all i mean most of the problems that argentina has i would say i i don't blame Peronism entirely for the uh, for the um, um, like uh, dysfunctional government that we have is uh, I mean I blame all the governments from from Peron the onward, um, but yeah this government is just doing the same thing and even worse things that than than the governments in the past is further intervening further complicating things. And we we actually have we, we actually need like a complete overhaul of the of the system just to do like to open our markets to start uh, buying and selling from from the world for, I mean start uh, decreasing government spending government spending right now to to 
put you in a perspective, government spending right now is 50% of the, of the GDP. So half of the GDP of Argentina is government. Um, taxes are like in, in the roof. They are trying to uh, establish a new tax already because of, you, you know, every, I mean, the war is a new um, excuse for, excuse, excuse for adding a new tax. Uh, as as was the pandemic before, and and every I mean, every time you will have a new um, a new tax that a new I mean a new problem and a new tax that they will add. Um, what they need to do is to, as I said, open open Argentina for for trade and decrease uh, re reduce government spending and let the private sector to to thrive. And we are gonna change really change if you if you want to change the situation you have to do that for people that don't realize argentina is the third largest economy in south america this is a massive economy uh back in the 20th century this was one of the richest countries in the western hemisphere but lately probably because of the issues you've mentioned they've talked about a massive drop in foreign investment uh inflation is high like you said a lot of government spending that comes hand in hand with having so much government. So when it comes to a crisis like this, like uh, the war in Ukraine, where you go, hey, we could be doing a lot of exporting here. Is it just as simple as government uh, overreach and incompetence to why their economy is not in a position to take advantage of this opportunity? Well, you have lots of um, things in the middle that it's not that simple. I mean, I guess, because in the article, I tried to explain just the problem that you will have with this um, intervention in the wheat market, but you also have problems in the like in the um, agricultural industry as well that are, I mean, exacerbating this this uh, problem. So the government with the, the government is trying to the prices. I mean, inflation is running like 50, 60 percent right now annually. Um, one of the problems is, is the price of bread. Another problem is the price of meat. Another problem is the price of vegetables. I mean, all the pro all the prices are going up. Uh, the government is trying to tackle the price of bread with these new subsidies that they are implementing in the wheat market. Um, but what I try to say is that they are going to cause even more problems in the in the wheat production in Argentina, and also the I mean I I didn't have space in the article, but they they will just create rent seeking in the industry within the the, the the milling industry the mills are gonna just try to get the subsidy instead of producing and also the subsidy is not gonna help the the, the poor in Argentina the people that really really are suffering the, the high prices the subsidy is gonna affect the prices of all the production of things that are produced with with uh, you know flour um, so you are going to be subsidizing, you know, the bread of for rich people in urban areas. You are not subsidizing, subsidizing, subsidizing actually the price of bread for poor people. I mean, poor people in Africa and the Middle East are suffering a lot as well. So, I mean, rich people here in, we have, we are a middle income country. We are not a low income country. Um, the subsidy is not going to accomplish the real, I mean, I mean, it's not, not going to be for just for the people that are suffering the most. It's going to be for everyone. And I mean, that's why 
um, you know, you have to um, be aware of, of keeping intervening in the markets because you, you end up with lots of unintended consequences that, I mean, just uh, make things worse. Yeah, talking to our friend. Augustine Forzani. Uh, when we come back after the break, we're going to get into a little bit of those details, where these subsidies are coming from, who's paying for them, the government uh, policies in Argentina. Also a little bit more about why this disparity kind of comes into play because you have these prices, but you also have this inflation. We're going to break all this down. Augustine Forzani, our friend from Young Voices, continuing right after. Welcome back to Hertel. Our friend Augustine Fazzani is with us. Um, put your economic hat on for just a second, my friend. Explain to folks, because we use terms like subsidies and we, we understand vaguely what it is. But when you're talking about a country like Argentina and they're going to start trying to control a commodity or a sector like agriculture with subsidies, that means that money's coming from somewhere. And we already talked about it. The government, inflation's already high. Taxes are already high. There's economic dysfunction with the government. There's policy dysfunction with the government. Where's the money for those subsidies coming from? Uh, And isn't that kind of the larger issue here? Because that's going to cause what you just talked about before the break, all those unintended consequences. Well, the money for those uh, subsidies, when you don't really have the money for those subsidies, isn't that the unintended consequences that's going to be coming down the road? Yeah, well, that's the main argument that they have in the article and that's one of the problems that you will have the money for this subsidy is going to come allegedly i mean the government is saying that it's going to rise again taxes on export uh, export companies but these export companies are just a few they are just uh, like five or six and they have the ability to um to uh, communicate i mean pass through the i mean this this tax to the farmers. They just reduce the price of grain that they are paying to the farmers. And basically, farmers are going to pay for the, the subsidy, not the export companies. Uh, obviously, when they reduce the taxes for the export companies, they uh, keep all the all the money for them. But when, they, when the government raises the prices, the taxes for exporters, they pass along the, the tax for farmers. So this is going to and farmers are going to have a reduction in their income, and they're going to have a have to reduce their demand for their inputs. There, they, there's going to be there's going to be a reduction in the demand for fertilizers, for technology, and for machines. And it's going to this is going to obviously one we are one month away one month away from the planting season. This is going to cause a reduction in in yields. You can you 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 could offset this reduction in yields planting more wheat. But obviously, and uh, there was a couple of days ago, there was a, a, a like a, a, a grain, uh, the grain exchange uh, board. They just released a, uh, um, a um, an analysis from the market. The, the service the service says said that farmers are gonna are planning to plant less wheat because of the high prices because of the uh, prices of fertilizers of of machinery and because of the reduction in 
in their income produced by these uh, new taxes for exporters. Um, so this is what's going to happen. There is going to be a reduction in the production of, of wheat from Argentina, and this is going to rise prices even more in the in the world. Uh, you have uh, the, the problem with the war in Ukraine. Ukraine is not going to be able to export all the wheat that it planted. Uh, Russia, maybe it's going to be able to export the, the wheat because the, um, the sanctions on Russia are not for uh, for food and agricultural commodities. But, I mean, the, the dysfunction in the international trade is going to be there. Uh, the, Black, the Black Sea, as I said before, is totally, completely, um, I mean, stopped. Um, so you need more wheat right now, more planting. And you, one of the uh, countries that the countries that could um, help with this is not going to be helping because of government's interventions. Uh, you have Australia and, and farmers in Australia and farmers in the U.S., that are already planning to plant more wheat because the, the price of wheat went up and they realized that they have to plant more. I mean, it's just as basic as that. I mean, they don't even know. They might don't know what's happening in, um, in, 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 in Africa, in the, middle, in the Middle East with this disruption in trade, but they just know that the price went up and they want to plant more because of that. It's just... Um, the the wonderful uh, price mechanism working uh, in the world. Um, so this is the first problem that's going to happen in Argentina: the the reduction in 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 production of wheat. But I I said before as well that you are going to have rent seeking problems and the subsidy is not going to be directed to people that is needing uh, this the 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 reduction in the, the price of, of bread and, and all the um, derivatives of wheat. Um, you need, you, you will have rent seeking because mills in Argentina, they are gonna realize that there is a new subsidy and they are, they are gonna say, hey, um, I want this new subsidy. I don't want to pay the, the price of wheat as in the market. They're gonna waste time lobbying the government to try to get this subsidy. This, this subsidy is just for uh, 800,000 uh, tons of, of wheat. And the consumption in, in wheat in Argentina is like 5 million, 5 million tons. So obviously, the subsidy is not going to uh, be for every meal in Argentina. So meals are going to try to lobby the government to get the subsidy. This is just a waste of time and resources for getting a subsidy and they are not going to use that time and resources to reduce costs. And also, uh, even if you accomplish the, the, um, the objective that you have with these subsidies, rich people are going to be able to buy the subsidy, subsidized bread as well. Uh, not only the people that are suffering the most, uh, low-income people. Um, so obviously these, these, uh, these things are not even discussed by the government. It's just, you know, political, um, it's, it's just a political, the political game that they are playing is just focused on, you know, reducing inflation. We are gonna do this new intervention of the market because this is 
gonna help. Actually, it's not gonna help. I mean, the the unintended consequences are gonna cause the like the problem to get even worse. Yeah, talking to our friend Augustine Fuzani. Uh, we talked about the politics. We talked about the policy. You just touched on it, so I really want you to put a human face on this. Talk about the people of Argentina for just a second. This is a this is a very large country, uh, beautiful country, some of the most uh, jarring landscapes in all the world, all the way down to Tierra del Fuego, to the center of South America. Um, you talked agriculture. Um, Argentina's cowboys are legendary worldwide. There's a lot of culture here. There's a lot of history here. But in America, we call it gridlock. Uh, the political dysfunction and the economic frustrations you've talked about for a long, long time. People are very disenfranchised with the political system. They call it the rift uh, in Argentina. Uh, you, you can say the pretty fancy Spanish version of it, which is a lot better than the way I said it, but they call it the rift. But talk about the people of Argentina for just a second, how they're processing things. I've got to imagine when they see something like this, where they can maybe take a step on the world stage besides just the dysfunction, there's got to be a lot of frustration with all this, doesn't there? Yeah, obviously there is, there is a lot, a lot of fr frustration, but I, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, farmers are already frustrated by, I mean, increasing taxes uh, all the time. And the sector that is suffering obviously is, uh, uh, frustrated by this new intervention, but other sectors, as I said, some even some sectors within the agricultural markets, as mills, are gonna kind of enjoy this new subsidy, and they are gonna uh, have like they are gonna be able to get um, a benefit from this new intervention. So um, there is a Kind of, kind of a division within the 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 agricultural sector in Argentina, and but yeah, in general in Argentina, people are uh, there is an, there is an increase in the um, the sentiment in Argentina for um, like changing the system. You know, people in Argentina are just exhausted of um, uh, this these functions in government and there is a like a kind of un, anti-government uh, sentiment growing um, but what I believe in the what I, what, what I think it's uh, the main problem is uh, our institutions and our ideas within our country um, people in Argentina are not just I mean we are not uh, less um, productive than other countries because we want to be less productive. Uh, we, have a, we just have a problems in, in our, our rules and institutions and these rules and institutions cause uh, that we cannot uh, like cooperate each other to, to, to produce and to, to grow and uh, to progress as a country. Um, I am. Um, I mean, lots of people that from Argentina that emigrate to other countries end up being really successful. That's because they just they are the same people, but they change to another set of institutions and rules, and they, I mean, they end up being more productive in other rules and, and institutions. So we have to change our 
um, like, if you will, uh, formal and informal rules. Uh, this is a cultural change, a long process, obviously. But if we can accomplish that, we can, I mean, we can grow uh, tremendously because we have the resources, we have the, I, I mean, the people in Argentina is really, inno I mean, innovative. They are, uh, we have good people, we have good human resources, uh, um, natural resources, we just need um, a change in our uh, system, in our rules, and we can uh, take off, I am sure. Yeah, and uh, to his your point on that, uh, Argentina, even with all its uh, challenges that we've just laid out, still one of the leading economies in South America. Their GDP per capita is the second highest in South America, but then their GDP drops way down the list. So that's the disparity you were talking yeah. about. Uh, our friend, Augustine Verzani, thank you so much for explaining this to us. We're going to have you back on to update this. Hopefully, hopefully we have uh, some better news out of Argentina to talk about, but they're going to be the center of a lot of things. China's doing a lot of investment there. The Biden administration's trying to uh, improve relations. So we'll touch back in with you on these matters in the future. Yeah, and give me just uh, yeah, sure, go ahead. one, one sh uh, short thing. Um, so I guess wh why this is important for uh, the U.S., um, why this, all these interventions and these this, uh, um, problems that we are having in Argentina, because the IMF, in the U.S., just I mean the the IMF just um, uh, um, provided a new loan to Argentina to the government of Argentina. Obviously, this money is used to give subsidies to uh, intervene in the market, all of this. Um, and one of the countries, one of the countries that uh, in, I mean uh, provides uh, more money to the IMF is the U.S. So mm -hmm. some money from taxpayers to the US is going to the IMF, which goes to Argentina to, you know, just do this kind of things. And the IMF is not uh, really uh, constraining the government to, you know, open the, what, what we really have to do to open the market, to reduce government spending. They are just waste, wasting this money. And in the end uh, is the, the taxpayers in the US, in Japan, in Europe are, Paying for all these uh, interventions, so that's why this is important also for for the U.S. Yeah, always always follow the money. You get to the truth, and unaccountable government is a universal problem, regardless yeah. of which government you're talking about. Good points, my friend. Let folks know where they can follow you on your social media and your writing stuff until we get you back on Herdtel again in the future. Well, yeah, my Twitter is uh, Augustine Forsani, A G U S T I N uh, Forsani. Um, and my LinkedIn also same same name. Um, and you can also find me in my Young Voices webpage. We I have all my articles listed there. Yep, and it's alphabetical, so he's on that top row. You can find him real nice and easy. <laughs> uh, great information. We love having the wider perspective on things going on in the world. And then you tied it right back in. Uh, the world's a lot smaller than we thought it was. And what what does subsidies in Argentina have to, anything to do with the U.S.? You just laid it out. You go down the hole deep enough, we're paying for it. Uh, yeah. So great insight, my thing, my friend. Thank you so very much for your time today, and uh, we'll have you back soon, buddy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir.
Greg Hertel. A quick subject that we cover frequently here. We talk about a lot about criminal justice, law enforcement, especially some of the reforms that needs to be done. President Biden, when he was running, uh, made quite a few campaign promises regarding criminal justice reform, regarding justice, regarding things like how he would use the powers of the presidency for things like clemency and pardons. Well, Biden, President Biden is granting his first pardons and commutations, 78 nonviolent drug offenders. This is from Sandy German, who is the Wall Street Journal uh, justice reporter. Uh, These uh, commutations and pardons come from a broader effort to address inequalities in the justice system. After promising to confront legacy of tough crime laws, he once supported in the Senate. Remember, he was part of the crime bill back in the 90s. You can go look into all this. It came up during the campaign. Uh, But these are his first commutations and pardons of his presidency. There is some backlash on this. Rachel Barkow, who has an excellent book out on criminal justice reform, by the way, tweeted this, quote, better late than never, though this is such low-hanging clemency fruit, it's practically on the ground. Most of these people were already being released by Bill Barr under the CARES Act. All CARES Act folks are easy clemency grants, so I'd be a little worried we're just seeing a subset. She said later on to the reply to her pushback, she says, these cases are indistinguishable by so many others, so cautions could still have meant hundreds of grants by now. All the CARES Act cases are so easy, and it's taken us almost a year and a half just to get these. So as I said, I'm just worried at the pace signal here. There, there's two sides to the clemency power of the government, uh, whether it's a governor or the president himself. There's always that concern that you have a political blowback because you released the wrong person, they commit some heinous crime, and then you're on the hook for it. I get that. Uh, there's always going to be part of that. But the clemency and pardon powers of the presidency are often used on the last day of the president. It's often used for people for political gain. There are a whole lot of nonviolent offenders. We could clean out a good chunk of problems in the criminal justice system through these powers. It doesn't take legislation. All it takes is the stroke of a pen. Now, they should do some due diligence, but there's all kinds of organizations, both in the government and in the private sector, who already have list after list after list of people who have just been caught up in the system that could probably use a fresh start. I would encourage the Biden administration and state governors that would do so to look at these lists and use this power. Let's start cleaning out some of the criminal justice stuff that we can, especially nonviolent offenders, things like this. Just do it. There may be some political blowback, but there'll be a lot more positives than negatives. You have the power. Let's use it for some good, for some change, and show a little political backbone. More Hurt Tell right after this. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Glad you're sticking with us. I'm Andrew Donaldson. We always end on a little bit of a happier note. This one got sent to us by our friend Jericho Hill, frequent contributor to this program, writer at Ordinary-Times.com. We talked to him about economic things, but this has to do with baseball. Eh, baseball can be a little stodgy sometimes. I love the game. I like it in person. A little hard to watch on TV sometimes, I'll admit, especially with some of the new rules. But let's not go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but this comes from Riley Smith writing in fansided.com, the Savannah Bananas. Yeah, that's a real team down in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Everything to know about the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball. Riley writes it this way. She says, baseball has been considered America's pastime for over a century, and the Savannah Bananas are taking that phrase to a whole new level. The team is comprised of college students under Coastal Plain League, 
and their main goals are to bring entertainment and have fun, comparable to the Harlem Globetrotters. The Savannah Bananas aim is to be unproblematically crazy and entertaining as possible. That's uh, also, by the way, was the name of my dance crew back in the day. We were unproblematically crazy and entertaining. <laughs> the homepage of their website features a statement that says, we make baseball fun, fans first, entertainment always, all exclusive. Those are all in quotes. They've garnered positive attention from multiple media outlets such as USA Today, ESPN, the Boston Globe. They are truly a unique team that never fails to bring joy and laughter. So who are they? According to their website, the Savannah Bananas premier team was born out of an idea to keep baseball fun in Savannah all year long. The Bananas continue to add more games in their traditional quote-unquote offseason and needed to fill a roster after a multitude of minor league teams were cut in 2020. Many players lost their job. The premier team allows players an opportunity to be scouted and paid to play. The team didn't have to fight hard for recognition. Within the tw- first 24 hours, they were a trending topic on Twitter and received the attention from Sports Center and Good Morning America. A uh, quick aside here, they had a new viral clip where they resurrected the old Harlem Shake uh, group dance from about 10 years ago, f- complete with pyrotechnics and dancing mascots. It's a lot of fun. Go check it out. Anyway, back to Riley's piece. They launched in 2016 and have been on an upwards rise ever since. The family-friendly and positive team is one with talented players, so fans looking to watch a good game and ones looking for the entertainment can both found enjoyment watching the Bananas. With attention from massive media outlets, the team quickly grew and became known for their unique and bizarre antics, such as performing choreographed dances every game or wearing kilts while playing, among many other things. According to their shout-out from ESPN in 2021, MLB could learn a lesson from the Bananas and how to play an engaging game. Uh, the Bananas, who operate out of the Coastal Plain Lakes, sell out every game. Their TikTok account boosts more than 575,000 followers. That's where the Harlem Shake video went viral a couple days ago. More than any major league team, their brand has somehow become national. The mastermind is actually a 37-year-old yellow tuxedoed, of course, iconoclast named Jesse Cole, a former college legion pitcher who scoffs at the rigidity of professional baseball. The Bananas may be crazy team, but they're doing it right. When it comes to creating a show, everyone will love. I'm sure the Sabermetrics people will hate it, but listen, when you go to the ballpark, especially if you want to take your kids, there's no doubt that the joy of the game has been a little bit missing in the last few years, especially with the way the game is played now, where it's a lot of feast and famine. It's a lot of home runs and strikeouts. The game's changed. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not going to be one of those people to just yell at the clouds, but there is a little bit of fun to be had that could be added back in the game. Now, this takes it to a ridiculous level. Minor League Baseball is supposed to be fun, folks. Go enjoy it. So if the Savannah Bananas playing their uh, long-running rivals, the Party Animals, I think Washington Generals, you get a good idea what's going on there. Make sure you go check them out. Plus, Savannah is one of America's great, great cities. Good reason to go visit them anyway. That'll do it for Herd Tell. Uh, we'd love to hear from you like Jericho there. Send it in. He sent that in via Twitter at Herd Tell on the Twitter. You can reach us there, leave comments, also updates on all the shows that we post there. You can email us at hurttellshow@gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Would keep your bearing, be nice. Might even put it on the show. Might read it on the show. Might put you on the show. If you want to push back on something, that's what we do here. Don't complain about it. You don't like something was said. Come back on, fight your corner. We'll discuss it. We'll hash it out like grown folks do. We'd love to hear from you. Wherever you're watching or listening to this program, if it's on the YouTube channel, please make sure you subscribe. Our subscriber count's going up. We could use some more, though. If you're on any of the podcasting platforms, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google, 
wherever you're getting your podcast hack, make sure you're subscribed and not only make sure you don't miss anything, it also shows up on our metrics and we can keep track of what you are and are not watching. So we continue to give you the shows you want or turning down the noise of the news cycle here, but we want to hear from you. That's one way we keep track of you. Make sure you leave a comment. Make sure you leave a rating. We sure appreciate it. If you really want to do a solid, best thing you can do, put us out on your social media. All those platforms have share buttons. Let folks know Hertel is worth their time. Share us. Give us a little bit of an endorsement. We'd sure appreciate it. So until we see you next time on Hertel, we hope wherever you are across the street or around the world, you and yours are well. We hope you are well fed, and we will see you tomorrow for more Hertel. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. So much lemon.